I am really excited about you being with me and us being together at Timber Creek Church as we launch this new series. You've chosen a really great week to be here. We are going to uh, have the appetizer before we get into the meal uh, and the meat of this message. Uh, We are going to set the dominoes, stack the dominoes on a series that I believe is critical for you and critical for our culture. A time where people are begging for truth, begging for answers, and unfortunately in many aspects the church has been silent or the church has been stuttering. How can we live in the middle of these days and still be strong? Like a Daniel, like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the heat of this culture uh, threatens to cancel you for standing up for what you believe to be is truth. That's what we're going to unpack. And I want to start with uh, some easy to access numbers. You, you guys, um, you, know, you know the number to call when there's an, a, an emergency? Uh, it's, a three, it's a three number number. When you call for an emergency, it's what? Ghostbusters? No, yeah, it's 911. It's 911. Now, used to be children. Used to be children. There was another number. Now it's just like slang. It's like, hey, 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 what's the 411? But did you know that the 411 was actually a number? Now, if you live right now, if you, if you live right now, hopefully you're living right now. If you're not, let us know. We want to help you. There's more important things in this sermon <laughs> right now for you. 411 is directory assistance and used to be you couldn't get on your phone and go to Google and find something out along with the directions and the website and the reviews and the menu. You had to call 411 and someone would answer and you'd have to ask questions or you'd have to dial something in or you'd have to wait for the tone. I mean, it was, this is how we approach God. Many of our prayers are 911 prayers. 911, God, I need you. There's a crisis. There's a situation. Sometimes when we're going to church and we're looking for God, we're looking for the 411 on God, the answers and, 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 and assistance from God. I want to start this series by giving you the, another number. It's the 311. It's the 311. And if you call it from a landline, you still should get a municipality, local governmental agencies and information uh, you dial it from a cell phone, and you're going to get the and like you know not get anything. But here's the three one one I'm talking about. I'm talking about Ecclesiastes three eleven. Here's what Scripture says: God does everything just right and on time. Now we could pause there, and the house could be somewhat divided on how we've experienced that. Just right and just on time, according to our own calculations, that may be something to wrestle with in and of itself. God does everything just right and on time, but people never completely understand what He's doing. God the creator and us the creation to think that we have enough edge on our intellectualism and our understanding that we could come face to face in unity with God and understand everything. You and I just aren't there. And there's all kinds of things that God does and God has 
said and the way God moves or the way that we felt like he didn't move and whether he's reliable or not, the way we've experienced life, our emotions, our experiences, our opinions, our upbringing, the truth of this scripture is even though he does everything just right and on time, we never completely understand what he's doing. And when we can't understand, we lose this thing that you and I are addicted to. One of them is control. We're addicted to control. And when we can't understand something, we feel a loss of control and we fight to get control. But here's another one. We are addicted, addicted to certainty. We've got to have our lines. We've got to have our T's crossed and our I's dotted. We're addicted to certainty and we serve a mysterious God whose ways are higher. So the juxtaposition and, and the space between our expectation of certainty and the reality of a mysterious God, that space causes tension in our lives. It causes tension in people that claim Christ as their savior and the foundational relationship, their fundamental trust placed in him and him alone. And we deal with that mystery, that space in between. It's also for the critic and for the skeptic and for the doubter, for the atheist. There is this space between certainty and uncertainty. And here's what happens. When uncertainty is high, doubts begin to trend. Doubts begin to trend. Suspicions build. We're, we've, we've gone through or going through in the name of Jesus. We're, we're getting out of all this global pandemic stuff. And when that hit us two years ago, uncertainty was at an all-time high. And when uncertainty was high, we began to get suspicious of one another and doubt and cause all kinds. We just want control. This is no secret to the word of God. This is no secret to humanity. The very first two humans that lived, like the reason they ate the fruit is they just kind of wanted control. They wanted to have the wisdom of God. They wanted to be able to choose any tree, not just, not just say no to that one tree and have freedom to all the other trees. They wanted that one too. We want our way. We want control. Doubts rise in the church and outside the church when we deal with uncertainty. Our culture has some doubts. <laughs> they have some doubts about the purpose of why we would gather together like this. We have some doubts about the foundation or the B-I-B-L-E that's the book for me that you stand on. Why? Because they got some doubts. But here's the truth. So do some strong Christians. Our culture has doubts, and we can face all of our focus on culture and cross our arms and, and address culture, but we also need to kind of look in the mirror a little bit and know that even you and I, we've got some, we've got some doubts. Well, boy, what do you mean? Well, I can tell you that non-Christians and Christians, when we doubt the future, it's worry. God says don't worry about it, pray about it. When we doubt other people, when we doubt their motives or, or, or whatever, it, we deal with suspicion. It's doubt, but it's, it's dressed in suspicion. When we doubt ourselves, we don't call it doubt, but we are dealing with insecurity. When we doubt Facebook, that's what we call being intelligent. That's just intelligence. <laughs> like, 
Good, good for you when you don't like, I saw it on Facebook. It must be true, bless God. I read it on what's happening in Nacogdoches and what's happening in Angelina County, dear Lord. When we doubt someone's motives, it's called cynicism. Uh, when we doubt everything, when we, you just got to walk through life doubting everything, uh, you're called Janet, my wife. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, you're not. You're not. No, no, no. That's a joke. That's a joke. That, that's everything in me. Oh, no. no, that's called skepticism. When you doubt everything, you are a skeptic. Skepticism. And can I tell you that the Bible has space for skepticism? As a matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, and for 10 days, 120 people waited for the gift that Jesus had promised them before ascending. On the day that that gift came and there was an empowerment of the Holy Spirit in this supernatural moment where they were speaking the languages of the thousands of people that were on the streets, there were some people that were amazed, the Bible says. Some people that were perplexed. Ooh, this is interesting. And others that were like skeptical. As a matter of fact, they said, these guys are drunk. They've had way too much to drink. And Peter gets up and says an unbelievably awesome, awesome statement. He says, he says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> like, give us, give, give us a second. There's space. When we doubt everything, it's skepticism. And when we doubt God, friends, I'm going to tell you, we say it's unacceptable. We say, you're doubting God. That's immaturity. It's time, to, it's, it's time to grow up in your faith. But can I tell you that actually neither one of those are what it is when we doubt God. Let me tell you what it is when we doubt God. Okay, here's what it is. It's normal. It's normal. Well, maybe, maybe for the weaker Christ follower, that would be normal, but you gotta rise up, you gotta have, you, you gotta stand on the solid rock on which I stand, no, all the other ground is sinking sand. It's somewhere in the Bible, Hezekiah 3.12. It's a song, but it's not scripture. The second cousin to Jesus, John the Baptist, his mom was Elizabeth, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. John the Baptist himself was the preparer of the way. He said, I'm coming, I'm teaching you, I'm teaching you repentance, but there's one coming who's like Nike sandals, I can't even unlatch. He's so awesome, he's so big, you don't even know, you don't even know. And sure enough, Jesus comes in on the scene after he's 30 years old and John the Baptist says, you need to be baptizing me, I'm not baptizing you, but there was just this moment of connectivity because John was preparing the way. Later, John would be uh, uh, in big trouble because uh, Herod, the king at the time, he, he, he made an agreement uh, with his wife about uh, giving some kingdom to his daughter. It was just this weird little thing. And he said, what do you want? What do you want me to give you? I'll give you a gift. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And sure enough, uh, John is imprisoned. Later, he would be killed. And as John is in prison, the one who prepares the way for Jesus, we pick up John's story in Matthew 11. And John the Baptist, who is now in prison, he had heard about all the what? They were telling him about the miracles. They were telling him about what they had seen. Blind eyes open, uh, deaf can hear, lame or walking, 
do you remember Lazarus from Bethany? He was raised from the dead after four days. Like this is all happening. And he had heard about those miracles the Messiah was doing. And when you hear about those kind of things and you've been able to put your hands on the shoulders of that man who you laid into the water and pulled out of the water and baptized and you witnessed what was like a dove, the Holy Spirit descending on your second cousin and the sound of God's own voice plummeting through the cosmos, through the clouds to that Jordan River, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and I love. Of course you're not gonna have doubts. And yet John and his circumstances and being in prison and being what we call human sends a letter to Jesus and says, are you really the one we're waiting for? I mean, I remember baptizing you. I remember even saying, I can't even take off your sandals, but are you really really the one or do we need to keep on looking i want to tell you something if john the baptist had moments of struggle and uncertainty that led to doubt you will too and so will i and it's not about avoiding doubt it's about dealing with doubt it's about having a bout with doubt the truth is when we doubt God, it, it's, it's, not that we don't, it's not that we doubt that God exists. Uh, it could be your doubt. It could be your struggle. But, but most people don't doubt that God exists. Here, here's what they're really doing. They're just doubting what kind of God he is. That's what John the Baptist, are you really the one? I've heard about the miracles, good things. God's moving, but are you, the, you really the one, the Messiah? When answers to our prayers are delayed, we doubt the kind of God we have. When, when, when answers to our prayers are delayed, we doubt God's care. God, do you care? The disciples are in the boat. The, 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 the tsunami's taking place. The storm is going crazy. Jesus is asleep with a my pillow. Those things work well. He's in the bow of the boat just. And they're bailing water. Hey, Jesus! And here's what the disciples who love Jesus, who have left a lot of their life to follow him, they say, don't you even care that we're drowning? So, so, so when, when stuff happens and they're praying because they're talking to God, they're praying, do you even care about our situation? When facing a seemingly impossible situation, we tend to doubt God's power. And so what we like to do is we like to come in with our own strength, with our own understanding our own power. When facing a seemingly uh, a tragedy that strikes, we doubt God's love and wisdom. How could a loving God let this happen? What was he thinking? We doubt his wisdom. When God's word contradicts my life or the life of someone I love, when his word says, live this way, but I know that the way I am wired that way is not the way I want to live. We doubt God's authority. 
that we say, okay, God, you can have the authority. You can have the final say. You can place the, the gavel down and make the judgment on all these other things. But this stuff doesn't make sense. That stuff doesn't make sense. It contradicts the way I feel, the way I operate, what I think is best for me. And so in the meantime, I'm going to set you down on the side. Let me be God, because ultimately, the person who has the final authority in your life is your God. So, I got some good news and bad news today. Some good news and bad news. Let's, let, let me give you the bad news first when it comes to doubt, okay? Let me give you the bad news. The book of James says a doubtful mind, when it's, when it just, when it's swirling with doubt, it, it's going to be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I mean unsettled. It's going to make you sick. After a nice continental breakfast at the embassy suites, I had an entire day of golfing prepared at one of the most prestigious golf courses on the island of Maui. Maui, what? What? It was an anniversary Janet and I were celebrating years ago. But the night before, Janet said, Baby, do you think that you could say no to golf so we could go snorkeling together? We had already been snorkeling a couple of times. And I said, okay, okay. You're right, that does deserve an applause. You, you ought to be proud of your pastor. Okay. I said it in love. You bet, baby. I got you, girl. Caution to the wind. Let's do this. Mm. I'm going to swim around and goggle at you. Anyway, <laughs> we eat the continental breakfast. We head out. And I mean, I have never been on a bumpier ride. <laughs> Heading out to this little crescent moon-shaped little island called Molokini. We get out there. <laughs> And it, the water's muddy. It had rained the night before. No snorkeling. I'm thinking in the back of my head. I could have been. <laughs> could have been golfing. <laughs> it's okay. I love you, girl. <laughs> Let's go. So we take the boat back without ever even getting out of the boat. It's this big old pontoon ski boat. Like fast, not a pon, like not your grandpa's pontoon, but like, you know, pontoon. We get out back towards the shore. They let us out. I'm swimming around, and I am sick as a dog. I start throwing up tater tots from the continental breakfast. Good news is all the fish were around me. <laughs> I got to see them. I got sick. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, why did I say yes to this? I could have been golfing. We get back in, we've seen some school of fish, and they said, well, there's another place where there's some turtles, we're gonna take them out there. And, and, and I say, there's some turtles like this, because the guy was talking like that. Uh, he had, the guy was like tannest, tannest legs I've ever seen in my life, Daisy Duke shorts, and he was a boy. And it was, it was awesome. And we get out to another place, turtles, I, I'm gonna finish this story, because I don't even think it's going anywhere, but I'm gonna finish it real quick. Uh, because, because we get out to this other place where we're, we're looking for turtles, ain't seeing a dang turtle, I'm just gonna tell you right now. And as I'm swimming out there to where the turtles are supposed to be, Janet's already out there and she's like, you know, hurry, 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 hur
And as, I, as I'm out there, one of the most, the craziest moments of, of my life, I kid you not, boom, out of nowhere, unbelievable, searing, sharp pain all over my body. Like I froze. I thought I was being, elect- I thought the water had been, was, I, I thought I was being electrocuted. I, mu- I felt like then that I had ran into a net, like a fisherman's net that was elect- electrified or something. Because there was, because I, I, there was these net, this net all over my face like this. Come to find out, I had swam right into a school of jellyfish. Lines like this. <laughs> I'm going, ah, 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 And Janet, Jan, and guys, my wife, she's amazing. She is amazing. We'll run together long distances, and we can get to mile 12. She's like, this is so great. Oh, this is the day the Lord has made. And her ponytail just swinging behind her. This is wonderful. I'm going, I'm going to take that ponytail. <laughs> this is how she responds in the water. Oh, what's, what's wrong, baby? I'm like, oh, I can't move. I don't know what's happening. I can't move. And she goes, oh, do you have something on? This, I kid you not, this is exactly what she does. She goes, oh, you have some, and she touches one of those little lines, and she goes, ah, ah, ah. she just swims away. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, my, my lip, I'm swelling up, and I start swimming back to Daisy Dukes over here, and I say, there's jellyfish out here. There's jellyfish out here. And he, th- this idiot says, there's no jellyfish out there. I put my hand up on the rail of the side of the boat and there are three jellyfish stuck. And he goes, oh my God, there's jellyfish out there. I said, ah, oh, you think? I end up laying in the back of the boat. They're pouring meat tenderizer all over me. Janet suggested doing the whole Friends Joey Tribbiani thing. I said, no, thank you. (laughs) I laid, I get back to the hotel. I am drained. I lay down on the little couch in our hotel room. I'm laying there. I can barely move. And Janet's like, hey, so if you're not feeling very good, do you care if I maybe go shopping for the rest of the day? <laughs> and I could have been. I, let me just tell you, I love my wife, but I had, some, I had some doubts, okay? I had some doubts. A doubtful mind is gonna put you in that situation. I'm just gonna tell you right now. Is that the connection? I guess it is, I don't know. I got on a tangent, my apologies. Every decision you then make it's gonna be uncertain. As you, turn, as you turn first this way and then that. Another translation of this scripture says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Doubt, the bad news, double-mindedness, it's not a place you wanna live. And some of you are living there. Most certainly our culture is living there. Double-minded. The good news. Here's the good news about all this. Good news? We're often troubled, but we're not crushed. 
and sometimes in doubt, but never in despair. So, so, so what's the good news today? It is possible to doubt without being defeated. You can deal with your doubts. You can have a bout with doubt whether you are a secularist or you are a devout Christian. You're gonna deal with doubt. You don't have to be defeated by them. And you don't have to, to cower away from strong arguments. And you don't, you don't have to just put your ears in your fingers and say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, and okay. But culture, you're going to live in the culture that is inviting you to be salt and light. Oh, people want salt. People want light. They just don't know that it's Jesus. Because we've actually diluted the salt and we've hidden the light. And that's what this series, Grace and Truth Over Trending, is all about. This series is going to begin to drill deeper on some of the high-trending realities that you and I are facing. This series could last all year because each one of us have a unique experience in life. And there may be certain things that apply to you and others that don't. You may never have come face to face with some of these trending doubts. And I'll just say to you that even though they may be trending doubts now, it's not like they haven't been trending since the beginning of time. We are not the culture that's finally been enlightened, finally come to reality, finally we've arrived because we're all smart and whatnot and we got smartphones. We're just another cycle of people trying to be God instead of trusting in a sovereign God. Just, just different technology. That's it. Here's some of the things that are trending. Here's some of the doubts that are trending inside and outside the church. You know, we can't be sure the Bible's accounting of events is what really happened. We just can't, we can't be sure. The very fact that it was written by man makes the Bible unreliable. How can you build your entire life and your, 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 your doctrine for life on a Bible that was written by man? The Bible's culturally obsolete. Much of the Bible's teaching is socially regressive. It holds women back. It holds people back. It's sexually repressive. It shouldn't be the final authority for today's modern culture. Get with the program. It's trending. <laughs> but it's not that trending. Because in the garden, the first words the enemy in the form of a snake makes, the first words he says is, did God really say? He's questioning the word of God in the garden. And the word of God is being questioned in 2022. I don't think a good, loving, all-powerful God of Christianity really exists. Maybe there's a God out there, maybe not, but I definitely don't think a good, loving, all-powerful God of Christianity really exists in our time. Here's why. He might be all-powerful, but he's not good because he allows evil and suffering. He's not good. He's all-powerful and he allows evil and suffering. He's not good. Or he might be good, but he's not all-powerful because if he was all-powerful and he doesn't end evil and suffering, how can he even be trusted? A good God that's all-powerful and all-good and all-loving still allows suffering? That God can't be trusted. That's trending. You know, I have my doubts about there being just one true faith. It's arrogant. It's even dangerous for Christians to say their way is the only way. 
especially with the, 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 the melting pot of our culture. Look, there were decades, many of you, you never, especially down here in East Texas, you, you, you didn't meet an atheist. You didn't know a Muslim. You didn't know someone of a, of a different, because you didn't have the exposure. And now with the click of a button, you're exposed to anything and everything at all times at any time. And we're a melting pot and we're changing and we're shifting and East Texas isn't what East Texas was or wherever you're watching, culture changes and shifts. How can our way be the only way? Do you know what that means for people that weren't born into Christianity? I mean, you got a head start. Is it fair that you got a head start because you were born into Christianity? Because if that's the only way, at least you know that that's the way. But what about people that generation after generation after generation after generation aren't born into Christianity? And you're saying, you're saying they're, they, they're, they're, they're lost? As a matter of fact, isn't hell just a made-up mechanism of the early church to keep control over people? I mean, regardless, though, how could a loving God be okay with people going to hell? So, like, these are real questions, everybody. These aren't things that I made up. Some of these questions are from real conversations I've personally had. And you have too. And if you haven't, you will. So, I think it's important that we we start... (laughs) in the right direction on this series. We have to ask the question, what's our approach? It's not what's the church's approach because church has multiple approaches. And you can throw a stone and you can hit three different churches that have a different approach. What's our approach? What's gonna be in this theologically conservative church, Timber Creek? And as people that wanna be a part of this body, this expression of the body of Christ, What's going to be our approach? And you'll have to determine whether you want that to be your approach or not. Because if it's not your approach, you may not be happy here. You may struggle with that. And you're welcome at this table. And we can struggle together. We don't always have to see eye to eye. And we don't have to be in uniform. But unity equals anointing. Let me tell you something. Unity, everybody rowing in the same direction. Everybody thinking the same Game plan. Everybody having the same approach. There is anointing. Anointing isn't just about how loud you can preach. <laughs> or talk about Moses on the north side of the desert. <sighs> I can say a lot of things. <laughs> Four score and seven years ago. Like what did the pastor even say? I don't know, but man, he was pumped. <laughs> Unity equals anointing. Listen. The spirit and the bride say come, that all who are thirsty come. The book of Revelation shows us that Jesus is saying things to us. And the bride should be saying the same thing. And when Jesus is saying, here's how I want you to approach things. And we're saying, here's how we're going to approach it, God, the way you want us to approach it. How good and pleasing it is when people dwell together in Unity. It is like anointing oil off of Aaron the priest's beard. 
It's like dew that runs off the mountain and irrigates the crops. And we're living in a dry and thirsty and confused culture. So what's our approach? Let's gather together and let's approach this thing together. How do we address the doubts? What methodology will we use to address the doubts? Furthermore, on what ground do we as a church or will we stand and is it the ground that you're standing on? If you continue to fight people that refuse to have the same grounding as you do, you just will continue to fight at the top of your lungs or at the top of your thumbs. Thanksgiving will never be comfortable again. And you've got to recognize you're going to build your life on a foundation. They're going to build their life on a foundation. I'm inviting you. What foundation does Timber Creek build on? I can tell you this. It's not going to be our emotions, and it's not going to be the cultural norm, and it's not going to be just a new expression. The Word of God is the final authority for this church. It's not the final authority for some churches. The Word of God, I'm inviting you to allow it to be the rock on which you stand. And here's the problem, though. It's way more than just opinions here. It's not standing on the solid rock on which I stand, and, and it's just all opinions, and I say it this way, and you say it this way. Oh, oh yeah, check, check, mate. <laughs> New game. This isn't about having an opinion. This isn't about winning an argument. It's not, have, it's not about having a watertight argument that nobody can fool you with because this is really about people we love. And we're trying to win arguments and, and we're losing people. We're stomping our feet and we're, we're losing people we cherish because we just can't have a conversation. We can't reason together. We have lost the art of just sitting and talking. The skeptic will cancel you and the hard-nosed Christian will send you to hell. That's not the way Jesus operated in his life. It's not the way of Jesus. It's not, that's not building a life on the word of God as the final authority. That's building on me, gotta be right, and me having my last word in edgewise, and that's just me being in control, and me being certain, <sighs> me being a terrible substitute for God. It's people we love that hang in the balance we can't get this wrong. And here's what I want to say to you. You cannot recuse yourself from this reality. Look, I'm a judge. I walk into the courtroom. There is uh, the defendant, and I recognize them. I'm invested with them financially, and their company is being sued. I got some bias here. I need to recuse myself okay but you can't rec you've got bias because you got a baby who's 42 you got a baby who's 27 you know life you've got a life 
And it doesn't, if the, if the word of God's the final authority, your life's not aligning with it. You cannot recuse yourself from reality. You, you gotta deal with the bias on both sides. You gotta deal with it, you gotta wrestle with it. You can't just ignore it. You will choose how to respond. You're, you and I are gonna choose how to respond to this culture. The culture has no problem choosing how it's gonna respond to Christianity. So here's some ways we can respond. And this is some ways that the church is responding, okay? The church in general. We can attack culture aggressively. And by doing that, we marginalize our voice. Attack, 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 attack. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Ah, ah, ah. Your mama, your mama, bless God. Like, we can attack culture aggressively and we marginalize our voice. Just attack it. Or we can retreat from culture quickly and we lose our voice. And this is really where the church has been, I believe, uh, a mixture between these two in the last 20 years or so. Here's another one, though, that the church has been sliding into. We can embrace culture too closely and we dilute our voice. We, we want grace and we want truth, but we tend to be team truth or we tend to be team grace. And the truth is, the grace is, all of us kind of have a preference. Some of you in our rooms are team grace. Some of you in our rooms are team truth. The Bible says that Jesus came not half grace and half truth, but full of grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. And we can embrace so closely that we dilute the grace and we dilute the truth and we dilute our voice and we have no more voice in culture. Or we can engage culture with the hopes to see it transformed by elevating his voice. Because really, at the end of it, it ain't even about your voice. It's about his voice. It's about his word. It's about his spirit. It's about his spirit that raises Christ, that the same spirit that raises Christ from the dead dwells in you and empowers you to be a bold witness. His voice through you, through the chaos, to the culture, with kindness and candor, grace and truth. That's how Jesus designed it. That's actually the essence of Pentecostal, is not about tongues. It's about being empowered to speak the message of Jesus with clarity, through the chaos, to the culture, in a way that on the day of Pentecost, people said, what should we do? And 3,000 people were added that day because of the grace and the truth given 100%. Can I make a suggestion? Let's do this one. Out of all the other ones you can do and the, all the other ones that maybe you do do, <laughs> which creates do-do, <laughs> let's engage culture to transform it by elevating his voice. We can raise our voice and make our opinion 
Let's elevate his voice. This series, over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack human suffering, the reliability of the Bible, biblical sexuality, the importance of hell. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> I'm going to record all of them so I'm not here in person. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding, Nack. I'll be here. And here's what I want you to do. Here's how I can, here's how I want to encourage you to prepare. All right, as we wrap up today, here's how to prepare for this message series. Okay, first is this. I want to encourage you to pause the parrot. Pause the parrot. Every one of us, because of our own life's life cycle, our own experiences, you and I have got not just a, you know, it's not just like your guardian angel, and then like the little devil, you actually have a Iago from Aladdin parrot right here. You do it. Do what I say. And here's what has happened. The reason why we're struggling with how to talk through this is because we got more parrots, we got more parroting than a prophetic voice. Here's what that means. A parrot doesn't know what he's saying. A parrot don't got a clue. They're just on repeat. And many people grew up in church and around church language long enough that when something happens, when a culture goes counter biblical, we just go, Bruh! and we just say what we've always said but when we see it as people and struggle, when our own child is struggling, they need more than a parrot. They need a parent that will love them where they are and give them grace and also hang on to truth for dear life and ask God to do what only he can do. So we gotta pause the parrot. Some of you, you don't really know why you believe what you believe. You've just believed it, but when it comes in contact with something that rocks your world, you are easily shaken because you're parroting your parent. You haven't allowed the word of God to dig in deep into your heart. That's gotta change. Your, your, your relationship with God, your understanding of his word is what makes the difference. I also want to encourage you to sit patiently with your doubts. Many times what we want to do is we want to fix the doubt, fix the doubt, fix the doubt, or ignore the doubt, ignore the doubt, ignore the doubt. I'm saying it's okay. This is a safe place. Sit patiently with your doubts because you know what? He is so patient with you. He's not mad at you for having doubts. He's not kicking you to the curb. Doubts can be like, can be like a disease that eats us up from the inside out, or it can actually be like antibodies in your body. That because it, when you get faced with a struggle and it's that doubt, you begin to attack it with God's word and you begin to search it out and seek out like you would hidden treasure and you search you sit patiently with that allow God to work and sit patiently on both sides listen 
you, you, you can sit patiently with your perspective of a cultural norm that you might even be sitting counter biblical. I'm inviting you, it's, it's okay, sit, sit patiently, but don't just sit permanently. Uproot it. Pause the parrot. Pause the parrot of living just in a Christian home and pause the parrot of culture begging you just to take everything they say, hook, line, and sinker, brah, 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 everywhere, all the time. And you read a blog that shook your world and all of a sudden you're gonna doubt all this stuff? Sit patiently. Choose curiosity over defensiveness. There's no reason for us to be defensive on these things. We're gonna stand for the truth. We're gonna fight for the truth in the way that even the book of Jude says we ought to contend and defend the truths. Contend and, and defend. We are not, we are, we're not living. We're living in a culture that was founded on godly principles. But we're living now in a culture that is begging to be post-Christian, begging to push those things aside, to take on all the dressings of secularism, humanism, Marxism. Marxism isn't a political thing. It's actually a biblical situation. There's biblical ramifications in that. You may not even know why, because we just kind of hook, line, and sinker, listen to the parrot of the Republicans or the parrot of the Democrats or the parrot of my opinions. Pause all that. Dive in on your own. You know what else? The book of Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. Jude chapter one, be merciful. God, through the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he also says, come, let us reason together. And for the next five weeks, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, come, let's reason together. Let's reason together. Let's search the scripture together. Let's see what God says. Ultimately, I'm asking you to pray. And there's a, a prayer that you, you could pray. And maybe you've been praying in the middle of your doubts. And it would sound something like this. Jesus, help me find you in all this. Jesus, help me find you. Jesus, help me find you. Can, can, can I invite you? to just change that prayer from Jesus, help me find you, Jesus, help me find you, and you're searching, you're searching. Can I invite you to pray this? Over the next few weeks we have, Jesus, come find me. Lay your heart bare, open before the Lord. Be willing to do, to listen to the word and respond to it. If his word is truly reliable, there's ramifications to that. There's opportunity with that. Jesus, come find me. Listen as I close. If you're looking for a watertight argument that can't be busted and can't be broken, you're probably not gonna find a watertight argument. And that's not what this series is about. But I can tell you, every week, I will introduce you to a watertight person. And his name is Jesus. And he's way more than a philosophy. He is living power. 
He is a person that is living and powerful, not to be read and discerned, but a a life to be encountered. Jesus, come find me. Good news is, he already knows where you are. All locations, would you pray with me today? Close your eyes. Let's do that in this moment. Isaiah says, come, let us reason together. And the next, the next prophetic moment, the next voice of God through Isaiah says, though your sin, what separates you from God, though your sin be like scarlet, it's everywhere, it's deep, it's dark, it's stained, I will make it white as snow. And the number one thing is not getting all your questions answered. The number one thing is coming to the way, the truth, and the life. It's not an answer. It's not a solution. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. And maybe, Jesus, come find me. It may be that this is your opportunity because Jesus has been waiting for you in this moment right now. And it's time for you to surrender to him. It's time for you to invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible is not about people trying to find God. It's actually God chasing after people. And he's brought you to this moment of opportunity. Here is his good news in a nutshell. He loved you so much, he spent the most valuable treasure in heaven on you. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and die an excruciating death because you could never live the perfect life and you deserve death, so he dies in your place. He raises again to show you he's got the power for you to live victorious if you trust in him. It's his grace that saves you. It's not anything you could do. And right now, you're not preparing a place in heaven by your good works. The Bible says he's preparing a place in heaven for you. Someday he's gonna make everything right, just like it was in the garden with a new heaven and new earth. And you don't just accidentally fall into that. You have to choose to receive him as that Lord and Savior. It's a free gift, but you've got to accept it and embrace it and walk in it. And if that's you, you need that today. You want that today. In your own words, you'd simply say, Jesus, save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm lost without you. I need your grace. I can fix mistakes, but I cannot fix my sin. And sin is stuff that separates me from you. And I don't even know what the ramifications are exactly on all that. I don't have all the answers, but I, there's something telling me that you are the answer. I've been looking for you, and I didn't even realize that it was you I was looking for. And so I found you today. Thank you for finding me. I give my life to you. Help me take next steps with you. And now with confidence, you can say, Jesus, thank you for meeting me where I am. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. And God, for everybody else, in the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of the tragedy, in the middle of the worry, in the middle of the moments of, oh, what do I do? How do I say? In the middle of, of torn because we have a loved one that's, that if I, if I believe the Bible is true, their life is in jeopardy. God, How do I deal with this? God, give us patience, give us trust, strengthen our resolve in you and you alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.